Fired Up show starts right now. And hey everybody, it's time to get fired up about politics once again. This is Steve on this side, bringing you all the information on what's going on with the political system here in the United States. Uh, Sending warm summer greetings out to everybody. The heat is here and we're feeling it. But let's get started with what we're here for. Uh, As always, we'll start off with our recap of where we are with the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, As of this week, we're up to 84.8 million cases that have been reported, and we have had 1,008,000 people who have died from the disease. Uh, And uh, we've had 586.6 million people vaccinated. That includes people who have received one dose and people who are fully vaccinated. So uh, we continue to see a slow uptick in the number of deaths. We're up uh, about 4,000 over last week. Uh, So we're still seeing an increase in the number of hospitalizations due to the secondary variant on the Omicron virus. So all the usual protocols need to remain in place. You know, if you aren't vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Uh, If you're vaccinated, get your booster shots. And always, we are coming back into the scenario where we need to uh, protect ourselves, you know, with masks and hand washing and so forth. So we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, Hopefully we continue to see uh, the trend that we see, you know, week over week, you know, plus or minus, we see it's generally flat. So let's keep up the good work. Let's make sure we're staying protected. All right. So if you uh, have been paying attention to the other media sources out there, you'll know that the one of the top topics that's being discussed still is the tragic shooting at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, just as a way of information, there have been in excess of 25 shootings since then, and we're only talking uh, about 10 days ago when that shooting occurred. So, you know, we, we have a significant gun problem in America. That should not be news to anybody. Uh, as I stated in prior podcasts, according to statistics, there are some 395 million guns in a country with 335 million residents. So, you know, we've got you know, more guns than people in this country. And, you know, it, it continues to be a huge issue, both politically, socially, and from a health standpoint in terms of the number of people uh, who are being killed through gun violence uh, every day in this country. Uh, it looks like we are averaging at least one mass shooting uh, a week, and a mass shooting is defined as uh, any shooting where there are four or more fatalities uh, or injuries. And uh, we've seen, you know, again, pretty much one a week uh, for just about as far back as we can go. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about what the political response has been on on both sides. Um, As expected, the Democrats are, you know, rolling out their arguments for more uh, common sense gun uh, control measures and uh, even a few Republicans have indicated uh, some willingness, willingness, at least uh, in the talking stage, of entertaining ideas of some of the uh, common sense methods that are being talked about. These include, you know, uh, uh, updated and universal background checks. Um, there's been some talk. Uh, not a whole lot of motion, but some talk still on so-called red flag laws, which is where if uh, you are an individual who uh, has a known police record or a known public record of violence, uh, you would not be uh, allowed to purchase a weapon. Uh, There's also talk about uh, limitations on the size of magazines for semi-automatic and automatic weapons. Now, as I said, you know, there, there's a good game being talked 
by the Republicans. Yet there have been uh, a couple of pieces of legislation uh, which have come through the House and gotten to the Senate and no Republicans have uh, come forward to vote for them, to put their name on the record as supporting these measures, even though you know, the overwhelming majority, and I can't stress that enough, uh, I'm talking numbers in the high 80s to 90% of voters, not Republicans, not Democrats, but voters in this country approve of such things as a universal background check. Uh, and, you know, uh, to a lesser extent uh, in the, the middle 80% range, uh, the red flag laws and reductions in the capacity of magazines for these high volume weapons. So, you know, there, there is talk and it, it is, as we've said in prior shows, it's incumbent on us to drive that conversation and stress to our legislators, to our senators and our congresspeople that, you know, these rules are, you know, what the American people want. Now, you hear a lot about the arguments and, and we're going to get into a couple of articles um, that I found over the week. Uh, that talk about some elements of you know the the gun control debate. Uh, when you bring up the subject of gun control to people who are you know conservative on the right and and those who support uh, the Second Amendment, one of the first arguments you hear back is you know that it it means that the government is going to come and take away the guns and. From a practical standpoint, that's not going to happen. Uh, first of all, you know, it, it just is not practical for the government to go out and harvest some percentage of the 390 million guns that are out there. Second of all, you know, it, it is a, a talking point that is purely intended to rally up the conservative and, and gun supporter base uh, in, the, in the Republican and the conservative side of the political spectrum. Uh, that's not to say that uh, such a move wouldn't work. You know, it, it was done in Australia and um, it, was, it was done in France uh, and other countries have proved that it is possible to, to do some type of you know, voluntary or uh, monetary, you know, gun submission program where people will turn in their uh, weapons, particularly uh, long rifles and assault style weapons. Uh, so, you know, the, the debate on that continues. Frankly and, and honestly, I do not hold out any uh, concrete faith that there will be a, a gun buyback program or a uh, surrender your weapon program or any kind of approach like that in this country. Uh, you know, guns are just too deeply entrenched in our society. And that's, that's just the practical reality of things. Would I like to see some method where we could get more of these weapons, you know, off the streets? Yes, absolutely. Uh, anyone would be a fool not to, not to want to see that happen. Uh, but, you know, as much as we talk about Australia and as much as we talk about, you know, France and, and other countries, they are not the United States. Uh, and their, their attitude and the psychology of guns in this country is just a totally different animal. So we need to look at, you know, a, a broader package of things that work around the edges and work toward the causes of of gun violence aside from the guns themselves, um, you know, and and see how we can effect some way of uh, of exercising the political will to to make these changes happen. And part of what I'm gonna gonna talk about today is some of the things that are being done on the um, on the conservative side of the political spectrum. And some of the things that perhaps the uh, Democratic or the progressive liberal side of the spectrum uh, need to do in, in order to effect these necessary changes. So 
let's start with uh, a couple of things that have come out over the past week. Um, late last week, uh, a memo came out or was leaked out uh, from the Republican Party, uh, and it went and it was picked up by Rolling Stone magazine and uh, some other sources. And basically, the the subject is the title is "Ignore Guns, Talk Inflation." Memo show GOP strategy after the Uvalde massacre, and you know it, it says you know three days on on May 27, three days after a gunman's rampage at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, the Republican National Committee distributed a memo of talking points and messaging advice to its surrogates and media alloys, allies. excuse me. The email begins with some pro forma thoughts and prayers for the victims and their families, then went on to, to quote, thank the members of law enforcement who responded to the scene and killed the shooter, close quote. That's despite the fact, according to the article and according to what we've heard, that 19 such officers inside the school waited and waited while students begged for help and the gunman continued to fire. Uh, the bulk of the memo, part of the series of RNC, quote, pundit prep that typically lists the party's weekly political priorities, had a conspicuous omission. It didn't include any actual talking points about the latest school massacre or the, the Uvalde school massacre. Um, a mass shooting that dominated American media and political conversation, only to be bookended by news of other mass murders carried out with firearms. The email did detail, however, quote, what you need to know, close quote, about this week's primary elections and listed the, RNT, the RNC's recommended reading from Fox News, Breitbart, Newsmax, and the Washington Examiner on such topics as President Joe Biden's failed immigration record. Uh, it goes on to say uh, and, and references former President Trump. Uh, as it says, as for Trump, the former president doesn't see it as much of a pressing issue either, unless he's paying public lip service to the Trump-supporting gun lobby and its supporters. We heard, you know, a, a leaked recording and transcript from a Zoom call that was held by um, members of the Republican Party and their strategy committee uh, that talked about, um, that, that uh, detailed their strategy for the elections and, you know, coming up in November and beyond in 2024. And, you know, it contained a, a blueprint for, you know, Republican domination of the polling process in heavily Democratic districts where the Republican Party is going to go out and hire poll workers uh, who are going to stand ready to challenge Democratic voters, uh, including being equipped with a toll-free number to uh, get them in touch with, in their words, an army of you know, lawyers friendly to our side uh, as well as communication mechanisms for district attorneys you know, in these districts so that they can not only challenge people's vote but use the threat of you know, their disenfranchisement and action by the district attorney in order to scare and intimidate voters uh, at the polls. So you know, this is something that you know we are, are going to keep an eye on. This is something we need to be prepared for, um, and we need to make sure that number one, that we verify our voter registration status right up to you know the the day before you're going to the polls, or perhaps even the day of when you're going to the polls, uh, and have documentation to prove that you are a registered voter. Uh, and also make sure that you have uh, all the necessary identification and proof of residency that you need. And in, in most cases, uh, that is, you know, usually just a driver's license or some other government issued ID. But wisdom should tell us 
that we need to be further prepared. We need to have utility bills, other documents that prove uh, where we live in the district. Uh, and we need to also be prepared to defend your registration status you know, at the poll. Uh, if you're getting challenged from a poll worker uh, who may or may not be you know, one of the Republican allies, you need to make sure that, number one, that you're standing your ground. And, and again, if you have the proof of your registration, uh, then you're in the right and you know, they are going to need to you know, go to extraordinary measures to try and get you to stop going to vote. Even if they're telling you that you are not uh, eligible to vote, keep in mind and remember that you can file a provisional ballot while the, the dispute over your registration status is being argued or adjudicated. And, you know, it, should that come back in your favor, then your vote would automatically and necessarily have to be counted under law. So just be aware of that, that uh, there are tactics that are going to be tried. Uh, make sure that you're prepared. Make sure that you have everything you need in order to cast your vote on Election Day. Um, in, in related news, and we're talking about voters at the polls, this article came across my desk just a day or two ago, and it, it really falls into one of those WTF scenarios. And I'm, I'm going to give you the article. Uh, it came, this came from a reporter by the name of Amelia Mavis Christnott from uh, the secondnews.com website. And I'll just go through this article. It's really short, so uh, I'll just break it down for you. Uh, the headline is, Matt Getz says he wants voters to be able to carry a firearm when they go to the polls. Uh, and again, this came out on June 3rd, and uh, Republican lawmakers face criticism for raising, from sorry, for riling their base over non-issues while ignoring actual problems, as we were just talking about. At all levels of government, the GOP has warned about critical race theory and transgender girls and LBGTQ plus influences in grade schools while failing to address the real threat of school shootings. Continuing that tactic, Florida Republican Representative Matt Gates now claims voters need to carry guns to polling places to be safe from intimidation. Where and when voter intimidation requiring an armed response has been an issue wasn't included in Gates's latest fear-mongering claim. On Thursday, Gates said, I sort of like Kentucky Rep Republican Representative Thomas Massey's legislation that maybe everyone who's a voter or on their way to vote ought to have the opportunity to carry a firearm to ensure they're not subject to any intimidation. And he gave those remarks while he was uh, speaking during the House Judiciary Committee hearing. So wrap your head around that for a second. Matt Gates, who's a member of the Republican Party, the party that is actively working to put in place measures to intimidate voters at polling places, uh, is also saying that uh, people going to vote should be armed. That's exactly what we need in a polling place where the possibility that tempers may flare uh, may occur. Um, the, it, the, I'm sorry, that's just so stupid. The idea that the settlement of any dispute is at the point of a gun is part of what we need to address and deal with as a nation. Uh, we've got to find a way so that the, the first recourse of resolution of conflict uh, isn't you know, going to you know, opposite sides of the street and start shooting at everybody. But you know, it, it, it shows a particular level of callousness and, and really just stupidity is the only word I can, I can bring forward for a sitting representative of, con of Congress to advocate for people to be armed uh, going into a polling place, um, you know, and, you know, I, I, I dropped that 
around the neck of Kentucky Republican Thomas Massey as well uh, for proposing the legislation in the first place. Uh, truthfully speaking, in my opinion, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And I've heard some doozies. Um, you know, it, it, it's clear that there is an element in this country that just, you know, really needs to take a chill pill, step back and think about what they're saying. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep you posted on what, if any, progress uh, this proposal makes. But for right now, this clearly falls into, you know, as I said, the WTF category of the news. So let me give you some perspective on this. Uh, and I know you've heard a lot of talk and a lot of uh, you know, political pundits and you know, media talking heads giving you know, all kinds of information about the Uvalde shooting and the Buffalo store shooting and, and so forth. But I found some statistics from uh, a website called the Gun Violence Archive. And you can, you can go to that website and see it for yourself. What they do is they collect from about 7,500 news media sources from all over the, the news and political spectrum uh, statistics on gun violence in the United States. So I found the page where they talked about gun violence in 2022. Now realize we have just crossed over, you know, we're, we're in the first few days of the month of June. So realize that we are halfway through 2022. So here are the, here are the statistics as reported on the gunviolencearchive.com website. They report total number of gun violent deaths from all causes, all right, 18,000 569. Remember, we're only talking six months here. All right. Homicide, murder, unintentional uh, gun violence or, or, you know, gun accidents, injuries, and so forth, 8,273. The number of suicides, 10,296. Total number of injuries, all right, and reports and the number of gun-related injuries, 15,612, all right, mass shootings, the hot button topic, you know, of, you know, the, the last few months, 240, mass murders, 12, number of children ages 0 to 11 killed in the first six months of this year, 152, number of children injured, number or number of teens, all right, ages 12 to 17 that were killed, 552, all right, and me back up and just say that in the number of children aged 0 to 11, the number injured was 318. The number of injured teens was 1,430. Officer-involved incidents, all right, where officers uh, killed individuals, 26. Uh, officer killed or, or injured, in this case the uh, officers injured, 160. Officer involved in incident where the suspect was killed, 604. Uh, officer involved where the suspect was uh, killed or injured, in the injured category, 376. Reports of defensive use of guns, and that would be people who are defending their property or defending, you know, their, their own lives, 484. Uh, unintentional shootings, 630. And murder-suicide incidents, 280. So, you know, it, it, is, it is clear, and, and I urge you to go to the, the Gun Violence Archive website and look at the numbers. They've got a chart uh, on their page that shows uh, recording from 2014 to 2020 the number of deaths and injuries in the categories I just went through. And I can tell you, um, you know, children, I'll pick the one category that, that, you know, is top of mind for everyone. 
children ages 0 to 11 killed or injured. 2014, 603. 2015, 695. 2016, 671. 2017, 733. 2018, 664. 2019, 695. And 2020, 999. So just doing some back of the envelope math there. Just children ages 0 to 11, 2014 to 2020, there's about 4,200 killed or injured. Um, in teens, in the same time frame, for teens, you know, that, that number, just a quick back of the uh, envelope math, is about 43,000 teenagers. That's uh, 12 to 18. Uh, and it classifies those willful, malicious, accidental, uh, or teens injured or killed. There's about 43,000. Um, the, the, the chart just gives these statistics uh, and really deserves for you to go take a look at it for yourself to give you a picture of what we're talking about. And again, this is only seven years, 2014 to the end of 2020. You know, and the, as I was saying, the statistics for you know, 2021 and 2022 uh, are still, I guess, being tabulated and have not uh, been reported out. At least they aren't on the gun violence website that I could find. Um, but, you know, it, it's just astounding when you put the numbers to what we see. You know, it, it's really easy, you know, and, and this may sound kind of cold. It's really easy to walk past you know, a, a singular event, as, as tragic as it may be, or tra tragic as the Ovalde shooting was, or as tragic as the incident in Buffalo, or Parkland, or, you know, any of the uh, mass shootings that have occupied our attention over the, over the last uh, 10 or 12 years. Uh, but when you start to see the numbers add up, when you start to do the math on just how many people are, are injured, not how many, and it's not how many Democrats, it's not how many Republicans, uh, it is how many people, particularly when we're talking about children and teens. Between those two categories, we have somewhere just shy of about 50,000 uh, injuries and deaths over the last seven years. And again, that doesn't count 2021 and 2022, which were among the most devastating years. I will keep digging and bring those numbers on a later podcast. But, you know, keep that in mind when you are hearing people that are arguing against common sense um, regulations on guns. You know, park that little fact next to the, the facts of what we need to do in order to drive a car in this country or what we need to do uh, for some of our professions. Think about the training you go through in order to do your job and then realize that for a, a lot of areas in this country you don't have to go anywhere near that level of training that level of onboarding to go and purchase you know a a weapon that can kill many people in a short amount of time uh, in in many cases as I said you don't need to go through anywhere near the level of onboarding you go through uh, to get your job, all you really need to do in a lot of states, uh, including Texas, is have an 18th birthday, and then you can go buy, you know, any weapon that you know is available that you can afford, uh, and and go from there. Um, there are some real serious things that we need to change in this country uh, about how we approach guns. And as I've said many times, I am not against the Second Amendment. I believe that every citizen has a legal right to own a weapon, a firearm. I just believe that there need to be some common sense rules of the road in terms of acquiring, learning, you know, being educated, uh, using it safely, storing it safely, 
and all of those things that don't impact your ability to possess the weapon, but they do greatly impact and hopefully and provenly reduce the risk and potential of events that like we have seen in the last three weeks, in the last you know, 10 years, or in all the years since Columbine and, and other events in this country. So, you know, just some food for thought. When we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to dive more into a few more things about this and some other political issues and also uh, something special that I want to talk about. So we'll be right back after the break. Thank you for listening and please uh, keep it locked and we'll be right back in a moment. I'm Audrey Jackson. I'm Greg Jackson. On February 19th at 4 a.m., a gun was used to take my son from me. You know him as Pop Smoke. We call him Char. Because of gun violence, I'll never see my son run up the front of our steps, taking them two at a time. He won't ever take my hands again and dance with me. He won't come into my room and muscle pose in the mirror. Gun violence destroys families. It must stop. And welcome back. And uh, if you're just joining, uh, hopefully go back to the beginning and listen to what we were talking about uh, with regard to gun violence and, and related subjects. Um, I, I really, you know, think it is important for us to have as, as many and as frequent a conversation about solutions. You know, we talk on this podcast and, and on this show about uh, practicing activism and the the ideas of what we need to do about gun violence in this country fall squarely under that umbrella. We, the, the voters, the electorate, need to uh, get engaged, get involved, make sure we're prepared, and make sure we understand what exactly is transpiring. Because there are elements out there that are actively seeking to you know, to cloud, to throw up smoke screens and, you know, distract from the, the key things that we need to be aware of and take action on. So with that in mind, let me give you another article that came across my desk that I, I also believe falls into the WTF category. And you know, while it seems like, you know, I, I, I may be picking on the Republicans this go around, it, it's not that. The, the Democrats have some major league problems, uh, and, and I'll touch on that after this, this, uh, this article here uh, with regard to their messaging. So this other article that uh, came from Newsmax, of all places, and it goes and, and talks about and, and says, uh, Representative Louis Gomart is quoted as saying, it is unfair that Republicans, quote, can't even lie to Congress or the FBI. And so the article from Justin Baragon, Baragon excuse me, uh, a media reporter with Newsmax, and he uh, reports that Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, a man who once blamed masks for his COVID diagnosis and wondered if the National Forest Service was altering the moon's orbit, was back at it on Friday. After defending his over-the-top outburst at Thursday's gun control House hearing, the election-denying MAGA congressman took to Newsmax to react to former Trump advisor Peter Navarro's indictment for criminal contempt of Congress. Navarro was taken into custody by federal agents on Friday morning and accused of refusing to comply, quote, in any way, close quote, with a subpoena issued by the January 6th House Committee. According to Gohmert, this was proof of a, quote, two-tiered justice system close quote, because it means Republicans can't flout the law. As he says, 
if you're a Republican, you can't even lie to Congress or lie to an FBI agent or they're coming after you. The MAGA lawmaker actually said, actually adding that they'll bury you. Gohmert, a vocal proponent of former President Donald Trump, uh, um, I'm sorry, a former proponent of former President Donald Trump's election lies, went on to complain that Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman was recently found not guilty of lying to the FBI. All right. So uh, another example of a WTF moment here. If I'm understanding what they're uh, attributing to what Louis Gohmert says, he's saying that you can't lie to Congress or lie to an FBI agent without getting in trouble with the law. Now, something to put into that, into that mix Realize that both of those things are federal felonies. Already defined, you know, stare decisis, decided law, proof and precedent set for a long time. You can't lie to Congress and you can't lie to an FBI agent. It's a crime. So, yes, Representative Gormert, it is, you know, you can't lie to Congress. You can't lie to the FBI. But no, Representative Gomery, it is not unfair. It is called the law. And the law applies to everybody, or at least that's, our, that's how it's intended. Um, I, I, I sometimes, you know, my friends, I, I just can't, you know. I mean, and, you know, for, the, for those of you... Uh, in in our our sister station in England, uh, Mintwave Radio, you know, shout out to you guys as well. Um, I've got to believe that you're you're looking over here at the U.S. and just going, huh? I mean, really? And you're an elected official. Probably you're a lawyer, and and you're arguing that it's unfair that the law gets applied to uh, Republicans uh, in, in an unequal fashion than it does to Democrats. Um, I'm sorry. That's the, you know, it, it, it is what it is. The law is the law. And no, you're not above the law as much as you would like to think so. So, you know, it's, I, I, I get these articles, you know, some of them uh, come to me through news sources that, I, that I'm um, signed into. Others uh, I find when I'm out, you know, doing my, my research and lo- looking for the kind of stories that we cover here on Fired Up, which are, you know, typically not the ones that you'll hear coming out of mainstream media. We have uh, uh, enough talking heads talking about those kinds of things. You know, lo- look at all of the media coverage of the, the, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Look at, you know, all the media coverage that goes on, frankly, that went on with the Ovalde shooting. And, and it, we need to have all that attention. We need to look at every angle. But some of the stories that are picked up by mainstream media just are not, you know, not worth the, the paper they're printed on, in my opinion. But that, be that as it may, you know, it, it is just crazy sometimes with what comes out of our elected officials' mouths. And Democrats, you own some of that, too. Uh, you, you know, um, wh- whether it's President Biden, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, whether it's, you know, any one of a slew of Democratic leaders out there, you know, Bernie, everybody, you know, routinely puts their foot in their mouth on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, it, it, it's incumbent on the media to call them out on it, to fact check what they're telling us, not to just accept it as fact. And I try and do a similar thing with some of the second and third tier stories that don't necessarily make the, the headline segment of, you know, your, your media broadcast. So, 
that that's what I do. I look I look for the things that that illustrate really some of the inconsistencies and some of the just strangeness of the American political system. So, all right, next subject, or actually returning. And I, I mentioned this in the first segment, and I talked about the report that came out, and it was, it was reported by Politico about the uh, video recordings of Republican operatives meeting with grassroots activists uh, and that was giving an inside look at a multi-pronged strategy to target and potentially overturn votes in Democratic precincts. And this was the, the intimidation, the hiring by the Republican Party of poll workers. Now, distinction. There are poll workers and there are poll watchers. The, wor the watchers are the people who just watch the flow of people going through, make sure that there's nothing strange uh, going on. You know, people aren't, you know, damaging the voting machines or trying to, you know, do strange things with the ballots and so forth. Poll workers are, you know, typically the, the, the nice ladies and gentlemen that sit behind the table, that check your ID, that mark you off on the, on the voter roll, uh, give you your ballot, and then give you your little sticker after you've cast your vote. It is that second group, the poll workers, that the Republicans want to um, hire and place as many of their operatives in those positions as they can so that they can challenge people coming up to vote right at the point where you're showing your ID and you're being checked against the voter rolls. Hence my admonition in the first segment about making sure that one, you're, you're registered up to the minute, and two, that you have multiple forms of proof of your residency um, and be prepared to you know, request and, and complete a provisional ballot if they try and stalemate you voting uh, on election day. So, you know, it, it, you know the, the story broke in Politico and was picked up by other media outlets and you know, became a, uh, a, a must-read in some circles. I want to go underneath that story and the um, vote, you know, the, the, the voters bringing weapons in and, and so forth. And what I want to, to highlight for you, and more importantly, what I think these stories illustrate and others that um, will likely come to light as, as more of this occurs, are two things. One, uh, it shows the depth of effort that the Republicans are going to make uh, to effect the outcome of the midterms and of the general election in 2024. Keep in mind, they tried to uh, subvert the election process in 2020 uh, through one means, through you know, pressure on the, the vice president to, you know, to not certify electors uh, in the final count. And that didn't work. So now they are coming back and realizing that they can influence the election at the local level and it will percolate up to the national totals by impacting how the the votes get processed uh, at the states and you know affecting the the quality and and honesty of the ballots and of the electors that are are pushed forward in the election process and you know, it, it is clear that, you know, more so than the frontal attack of going through Congress and the vice president, this is a, a methodology uh, that, frankly, um, has a good chance of being successful provided, and the key word is provided, that we allow the Republicans to do the strategies they are talking about uh, in terms of uh, you know, stacking the poll workers in the polls, uh, 
increasing and, and stepping up the intimidation process. And keep in mind, they want to do this in heavily Democratic districts. They don't want to do it across the board. You know, they, they want to allow the Republican districts, the red districts, to have the straightest, smoothest, easiest path from, you know, polling place to ballot box to vote cast. And it's only in the Democratic precincts that they are, are going to put up as many roadblocks as they can. And as I said, and as I've said a couple of times in this podcast, we need to be prepared for that. We need to let them know that we are, we are following the law. We are going to do what we need to do to legally cast our ballot. And they have to legally uh, process the ballots uh, according to the Constitution and according to state's laws. Um, and I think the, the third thing in that stack is that we need to be, and by we, I mean you know, the, the uh, progressive and liberal, you know, Democrat and independent segments of the electorate need to be ready to go strong to the courts, if need be, uh, to challenge the outcomes of elections where it appears the Republicans may have interfered and, you know, really, really uh, dig in and you know, fight for every ballot and every vote. Um, in this, these upcoming elections. Uh, secondarily, we need to understand that uh, in order to prevent more times things like this happen, we need to change who it is that represents us at the state level and at the national level. All right. So, you know, as I said, we practice activism on this show. So the activism is to one, make sure that you are fully prepared to exercise your vote with documents to back it up. And two, make sure to get the message out to all your circle that they do the same. Three, make sure that we are prepared to go strong against any efforts to block our votes. All right. And four, we need to be looking hard at who we are are casting our ballots for to make sure that they are candidates that will uphold the Constitution of the United States and the state constitutions uh, where you live and make sure that voting is not interfered with. All right, so that that's your walk-in orders uh, going forward. We've got uh, like five months until the midterms. So, you know, we got to make sure that we get that done. All right. For the last story, I, I really wanted to dive into something that I saw the other night. Uh, my girlfriend and I were watching a movie and it it comes from uh, it was on HBO Max. And, you know, while this is not a commercial for HBO Max, the, that's the, the streaming platform that had this. And uh, it's called 40 Years a Prisoner. And it is a story from uh, filmmaker Tommy Oliver, who detailed the struggle that uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Africa Jr. Uh, hopefully that name rings a bell for you, but if it doesn't, uh, his father, Mike Africa Sr., was the leader of an organization in Philadelphia in uh, the mid to late 1970s called Move. And the film details what happened to that organization uh, based on the fact that they were extremely vocal about the treatment of blacks and other minorities by the city of Philadelphia uh, in, in general and by the political structure in Philadelphia headed up by former mayor Frank Rizzo uh, and if, if you don't know these names, uh, I absolutely urge you to, to search them out and, and do your homework on who they are and what, what they stood for. This film, as I said, was, was uh, detailing efforts from 40 years ago. However, if you watch it, and I strongly urge that you check this film out, it is very powerful. Um, watch it with 
that third eye and third ear and listen to see how much and watch to see how much of what you're looking at from 1978 looks very similar to what we have seen in other places, uh, particularly where we have had Black Lives Matter marches, um, you know, in Chicago, in New York, uh, in, in other places. And it, it really brings home a couple of things. Number one, when, when you watch this movie, take a look at and, and look carefully at how the police and how the political structure responds to this organization and their protest. Now, to put it in context, uh, this was around the same time that out in California and, and some other places, um, the Black Panther Party was um, exercising their Second Amendment rights and arming themselves. Um, and, you know, just brief sidetrack into history. Um, at one point, a, an armed group of Black Panther members uh, positioned themselves on the steps of the state capitol while then governor of California, Ronald Reagan, was giving a speech and the, the optics of a well-organized militia of Black Panthers armed with long rifles uh, and shotguns uh, standing at the steps of the state capitol sent a chill of fear through the Republican leadership of California to the point that within a very, very short time, there was a law on the books that banned the open carry of uh, rifles and handguns in the state of California, something that had been never questioned for hundreds of years, uh, all of a sudden became an issue because a group of well-trained, well-educated, disciplined, uh, you know, and well-regulated militia, and I use those words intentionally, uh, were, were standing and, and making themselves visible to the leaders of the state at that time. All right, so getting back to Philadelphia, the MOVE organization, much like the Black Panthers of the time, were very much a, uh, a social justice, a, a natural living, natural uh, food, natural lifestyle uh, organization, and they were headquartered in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, they were organizing protests. They were organizing demonstrations against various uh, city officials and city policies. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Mayor Frank Rizzo basically got fed up with them, had enough, and the police set siege to their headquarters and in the in the course of a day there was a, um, a confrontation the the fire department and the police uh, poured 250,000 gallons of water into the basement of this building where the members of move were holed up uh, they you know fired tear gas in into the windows that had been broken out and other things that was reported that the police had entered the building and were actually shooting downward through the floor into the basement. Um, there are some very, very uh, uh, poisonous statements from then Mayor Frank Rizzo, including the fact that, you know, if he had his way, we'd go in there and drag them out by the back of their necks. Uh, there is film of, you know, Michael Africa Sr. Uh, when they are surrendering, coming out of the building, being grabbed, dragged out of the building, and being kicked and beaten by police. Uh, and, you know, and this, this was years before Rodney King. And, you know, the, the idea is, as Frank Rizzo said, um, or, or is actually a, a police department member of the time who was part of the, the people that were interviewed said um, he was being subdued. If you look at 
the efforts of the police, it looks more like they were trying to kill him. And the film brings this point to life. And, you know, I'll also keep in mind, again, this was 1978. There was no internet. There was no social media. And the only source of media information were newspapers, radio stations, and tele television. And in, in, in most cases, the TV coverage uh, would be fed to the station and the station would edit and air it at a time convenient to them. It didn't always you know, have the immediacy that we have today with our social media, with you know, our Facebook, our Snapchat, our WhatsApp, our TikTok, and all the other things. So I say that to say all this. This film, as you watch it, and, and again, I do recommend that you, you give it a look. It is very powerful. But the, the bottom line is, uh, when you're looking at this, and as I said, look at it with that critical third eye, and look at it with that, listen to it with that critical third ear. Um, give conscious thought to finding the parallels between what transpired you know, 44 years ago and what has transpired up to the last 44 days. And I think you, like me, will see that it is a story that very easily uh, would translate into, you know, 2022 uh, city of your choice. Think Chicago, think, you know, boroughs of New York, think Philadelphia, think Atlanta. Uh, it could very well, an event like that could very well still happen today. Um, the other thing, the other takeaway that I have from, from this documentary is it, it proves again the, the expressions that you may have heard. The first one is the, the past is prologue. That is, what has happened in the past can dictate what is going to happen in the future. And the second one that I think is even more powerful than that, and we'll, we'll wrap up uh, our podcast with this thought. When you look at these events, you know, particularly this one, uh, and again, it is called uh, 40 Years a Prisoner, and it is available uh, on HBO Max. When you watch this, and, and I, I hope that you will, keep in mind the, the old saying that those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. And, you know, it, it, that should give you some interesting point of view to the events that happened on that August day in 1978 in Philadelphia and hopefully as you look from there to what's going on here and now and today you will see that there is a need for a redoubling of our efforts to change what it is that we do you know because if we keep doing the same thing we've always been doing if we keep answering actions with words if we keep answering violence and death with thoughts and prayers no matter how well intentioned we are going to continue to get what we have gotten and you know we as americans we as voters we as constituents we as humans we need to redouble our efforts to be better than that so on that note, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this show. Thank you all for listening as always. If you have any thoughts or comments about either this episode or any of our podcast episodes, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. You can find this episode and all of our prior podcast episodes as well as uh, a, a number of our radio show uh, episodes on or through the WJMSRadio.com uh, website. We're also on Stitcher, on uh, Spotify, on Apple, 
you know, Google uh, Play and all of the sources where you can get your podcasts. Go out, take a listen, go to the website, sign up as a supporter or a member of WJMS uh, Media, and um, I will talk to you all again on the next podcast we release in seven days. Stay safe, everybody. Take care.